Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am your host, Joe Devine, and today I was joined by my friend, Alex Stewart. Alex and I set out to review the Premier League season, uh, which, if you know how long we waffle for, is obviously a ridiculous idea. I think we did the first four teams, by which I mean the top four placed teams, uh, and we ignored everyone else. So we, we, we will be back next week to do a part two, uh, in which we endeavour to uh, speak about each of the other teams. Um, certainly it'll be slightly more brief than it was this week. Nonetheless, we had fun recording it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Before we get started, I would just like to say a couple of things. Uh, firstly, I would like to remind everyone that if you are a subscriber of ours on YouTube, it would be great if you want to watch or more, or all of our videos even, please watch all of them, uh, that you can go into the little subscribe box area underneath any of our videos. There's a bell symbol, and uh, if you toggle that to uh, notify you every time we upload a new video, or just sometimes, if you don't want to go TIFO mad, which is completely understandable, that would be fantastic because YouTube has changed the way in the last few months that it pushes out videos to people who subscribe to those channels. So it doesn't always do it now, and you might not be notified of new videos. The reason I say this is linking into the second thing I want to say, which is the World Cup. Now, Alex and I, and Philippe, who's one of our other producers, along with some other people, we're going to be spending uh, most of the World Cup uh, together, watching all of the football, and making a video a day as much as we possibly can. So that links into the first point, because I would hate for any of you to miss miss those. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, and we're going to try and push things out as soon as possible so that they stay topical and still interesting. You know, obviously the problem with the World Cup is that a team plays a game, and three days later they play another game, and this, you know, it's all pointless by then. So we're going to be looking to get videos out about games or before games uh, as soon as, or as close as we can to the event itself. Um, but what that does mean is that we are going to have next to no time to do anything else. I've already told my friends and family, you should tell yours. That does apply to the podcast, which is why I'm mentioning it now. So throughout the tournament, uh, we've decided to not continue the podcast. We'll pick it up again when the new season's about to begin. The reason for this is because the videos take a really long time to make, and let's be honest, they're what we're really good at doing. The podcast is a fun thing for us to do. It's an easy way for us to talk directly to uh, you guys as the viewers and the listeners, and it's a sort of nice, relaxing thing to do on a Monday morning. But it's not the peak of the TIFO output, is it? And our whole ethos is that we want to create things that are very high in quality and not content just for the sake of content. Um, and so for that reason, we don't want to commit to doing it throughout the World Cup. We won't really have the time to anyway, and we don't want to push something out just for the sake of it. So uh, I'm not sure how many more episodes there'll be until the World Cup. I think it's about a month away still, so there'll still be uh, two or possibly three more. And after that, uh, we'll take a break for a month or so and uh, rejoin you before the beginning of the new season. Anyway, uh, that's all from me for now. Thank you very much for downloading today's episode. I really hope you enjoy it. And do make sure you go and do the subscribe bell thing, YouTube. Anyway, thanks very much. Here's a jazz flute. Right, we are recording this the Monday morning after the final Sunday of the Premier League. Uh, 38 games played. Manchester City, of course, crowned champions. Uh, sadly, Swansea, Stoke City, West Brom, all relegated. Uh, so we thought we'd have a quick flick through the league table, talk about the teams, talk about the tactical trends, uh, see if there's anything that we noticed 
on a broader level, but I think it makes sense to start with uh, aforementioned Manchester City. 100 points, uh, which is a points record. I believe they've scored the most goals in Premier League history as well. I mean, they've just uh, blown the entire league away, haven't they, Alex? Are, are they are they a team like we've ever seen in this league before? Uh, I know it's impossible and a silly question, but could you, if you could compare them to, to previous teams, would you say that this, this Manchester City side is the best the Premier League has ever seen? There's a bit of a debate, isn't there? I think they're probably there are probably two outstanding teams in terms of accomplishments that can be measured statistically that we've seen, which are this Manchester City side and the Arsenal Invincibles of 2003-04. And there does seem to be a kind of a desire among sports fans generally, I think, to rank things and to say this is the best, this is why. Um, It's very difficult for me to pick between those two teams. I think, yeah, okay, City only lost twice. um, And certainly in terms of runs of wins, I think they went 18 unbeaten in the Premier League, which is extraordinary. Um, 100 points, over 100 goals. This is... All kinds of this records. is the sort of thing that you, yeah. It, but but can you? I suppose the point I'm making is, can you measure a, a team's abilities by records they've broken? Obviously, in absolute terms, you can say, right, this is this team has accrued the most points ever, therefore it must be the best. But I think what's interesting is how you categorise that. And for me, the reason that City their achievement probably ranks ahead of Arsenal's, which may be contentious, is that the style that they've done that in is such a transition from how football's been played in this league before. So last season, Guardiola brought in this sort of possessional style that he'd he'd developed through Barcelona, he'd developed through Bayern, he tweaked it, he added players, he's brought people on, you know, the improvement to people like Nicolas Otamendi and Raheem Sterling has been extraordinary. Uh, some players like David Silva, uh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne already kind of got it. Um, and, and that was part of what City built on. But it's, you know, it's it's not just that this is an expensively assembled team who immediately clicked and started playing scintillating football. This is the the result of of a project of um, astute acquisitions, actually. I mean, I think really of, of City signings, um, you know, Benjamin Mendy didn't play as much as he could. Bernardo Silva was able to come in and, and fill in well. But anybody who's kind of come into the first team has played very, very well. And fitted in, um, there's a degree of flexibility around that side. So at times this season, you had Fabian Delft playing at left back. You had uh, Zinchenko playing at left back. You had people filling in in different positions where that was required. There was a core of younger players, which is really interesting as well. So whether it's Sterling or, or Leroy Sané, Gabriel Jesus, you know, they've all done extremely well. Um, despite coming in to this team as as relative newcomers. I mean, Sané had, I don't know, sort of 40, 50 games max for Schalke before he was transferred over and, you know, has kind of seamlessly fitted in. So the Invincibles team was, again, I guess the result of some sort of progression. I mean, they'd they'd gone unbeaten away um, in the league the, the season before and they were also 
new acquisitions that had to be blended in. But I think it was less of a step change in terms of how that team played and more of a, a kind of a, a, a perfecting of the alchemy that occurred over two or three seasons, three or four seasons, um, you know, tweaking the levels and finally getting it right. Whereas this City team has changed enormously. There's nobody else really playing football like City in the league at the moment. No, um, no. And, and, so and I, I, think, suppose... I think that's what makes it more interesting to me. One of the uh, things that this this has achieved, I suppose, this season, as it's arguably, well, it should, at least it should have put to bed that um, that argument before Pep Guardiola arrived uh, about how uh, he he achieved the most uh, purely based on the fact that he managed teams who already were great. You know, Manchester City, as we as we've uh, discussed, were not struggling, but they hadn't managed to crack the, we hadn't managed to, to make that final transition to to be a dominating team you know we've seen them obviously win the league before they've been there thereabouts but there was a level of inconsistency which stayed with them throughout all of their previous managers and that seems to just have been dispelled this this season you know they seem to be an unstoppable force and I think that is um that's a big job for Guardiola to do in two seasons you know I know it's a sort of cliche of, of Mourinho in the olden days that his second season would be the one uh, where he would win the league He'd come in on the first year, rebuild the team, model it after himself, and then you know win in the second year. That's exactly what Guardiola's done, and you you can't imagine them you know starting next season being um, being any any worse than they've been this year. So it's a huge a huge achievement, really, isn't it? Given the given the history of the club. Yeah, I would say so. And you know, obviously, when Aguero um, won the title for them with that, you know last minute goal against QPR I mean that that obviously that's an indelible football memory but it 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 shows how tight that race was whereas City have they've absolutely blown everyone away this season and 19 points yeah exactly 19 points and and 39 in goal difference better than than um, Manchester United obviously Liverpool have got a better goal difference than that but it's you know you kind of I think, firstly, what I'd say about that, the, the Guardiola thing is, is, yes, there are people who say that. And clearly, you know, at Barcelona particularly, things were sort of set up for him to do well in that he had some exceptional players under him. And crucially, he was inculcated with the way that Barcelona play, having been a successful player there himself, having come through the management system there, having played alongside some of the players that he was then managing. Um, I think people make those arguments rather lazily about uh, Bayern Munich. I mean, yes, Bayern are financially a a powerhouse uh, in German football, in European football. But it's, you know, if you look at how... Ancelotti did at the beginning of this season um, before he was replaced by Jupp Kainkus. You know, it's there are other very good teams in German football, and to achieve the level of consistency and and to be able to to mount a sustained campaign, Bayern have now won their sixth title in a row. So that that's not just the result of of luck or having a very good squad or lots of money to spend. You can't just give a teenager a Ferrari and expect them to be able to drive really well. You know, it 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 takes more than that. So I've always kind of thought that people who just assume that, that Guardiola is a, a fraudiola, I hate that expression, um, 
who's you know who has everything in his favor and it's therefore fine yes he should have put that to bed now even though it was a specious and ridiculous argument beforehand um people will still turn around and go ah well you know he was able to spend however many million on this guy and that guy and the other guy but oh all teams spend money you know it's not it's not like it, it, it's the way that those acquisitions have been blended into the side by and large. And and also, I think most importantly for me, the way that he's brought players who had previously kind of sparkled in patches like Raheem Sterling or looked at times like an absolute liability, Nicholas Otamendi, and, and made them into really, really good players consistently. That's what you point at to me when you're saying... This guy is very, very good at his job um, because he's he's developed those. And, you know, if I'm Gareth Southgate going into the World Cup, there aren't obviously too many um, Man City players that, that qualify for England. But I, I would absolutely be looking to to have Delph in the squad, for example. Clearly, I think John Stones and Raheem Sterling are going to go. But with, with Delph, you're bringing somebody who's spent now two seasons under Guardiola learning, thinking, playing in a variety of positions. That's exactly the kind of player you want in your World Cup squad who can then fill in in different roles as required, but who also just brings that that level of intelligence to what the rest of the team is doing. And I think Southgate should look to exploit that if he can. Okay, unfettered success there for Manchester City. Let's move on to uh, position number two, Manchester United. There are there are good ways of looking at this season for, for United and and. Less good ways, I suppose. I suppose uh, the better way would be this is the best position achieved since Ferguson left. Also, in terms of points, I believe it's significantly the best haul uh, since Ferguson left. Um, also, you know, I suppose late late season successes. They managed to they managed to beat City at Old Trafford uh, to prevent them lifting the title for another couple of weeks. Um, you know, although it seems it seems all kind of. Um, Negative uh, from Manchester United's perspective at, at times, depending on how you look at it. You know, this is, I suppose this is also the first time that Jose Mourinho hasn't won the title in his second season, uh, so it's a much bigger task than perhaps was anticipated. Some supporters are feeling deflated uh, about the style of football, uh, claiming it to be you know too defensive. And obviously, when over the road uh, you have Manchester City doing what they're doing, winning and making it look incredible, uh, I'm sure it is easy to be jealous of that. So I just wondered uh, how you even begin to appraise their season because it's it's really it's a really difficult one, isn't it? It is, certainly. Um I think yes, in bold terms, um it's a very good points total. Um and it, you know, it'd be good enough to have won the title in in a number of seasons. In fact, in, in 2012, I think no, 2011, 10-11, when United won the league, uh, they won it with 80 points. Mm. Um, they have uh, they have 81 this this season. Yeah, so so there's there's clearly a, a consistency to that team's achievements. Um, that only you know only City won more games, um, and while while it wasn't always scintillating, I think you know you have to ask what was required by Manchester United in the post-Ferguson transition. You know, yes, okay, 
league titles. That's what every big club wants. Um, personally, as a as a supporter of a team that fairly narrowly escaped relegation, the idea of any of these sort of top six clubs bemoaning the fact that they've not won this season and how it's an absolute failure is quite galling because, you know, try supporting a team down the other end. But um, I think the issue, the issue I think with, with United is, is threefold. Um, Stylistic problems in that they have previously been associated with a certain kind of style, which is, quite attacking uses width has you know maybe one or two players of real individual talent who are talismanic to that side and who excite everybody and who you know get get people engaged in that project um i think the Mourinho factor as an individual i think has has kind of slightly poisoned the well a bit um you're getting these increasingly bizarre pronouncements um the siege mentality seemed to kick in very early and without necessarily any real cause there's also lots uh, of discussion of um of players who might be considered key players leaving well this 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 is sort of my next point was was you you know you've got people like um martial you know okay rashford has has played on and off this season um but there seems to be with Mourinho, and possibly this is allied with his negativity. Possibly this is inflected by his um, personal relationship issues that that appear to to be the case with certain players. But you know, if you're a Manchester United fan and and you're one all in a game that you feel you should be winning, you don't want to see Mauro and Fellaini trotting on. Right? You want to see a Rashford or, or a Martial or, you know, somebody who's who's attacking. They got rid of Memphis Depay, who's obviously played really well in Lyon this season. And, you know, Mourinho's never really been one for, um, for giving younger players much of a go, and that's why he made such a huge fuss about playing Scott McTominay for... You know, if, if if sort of the media hype is to be believed, McTominay was their outstanding player for the entire season, but actually he's... He's not barely featured at all. It's you know, it's Mourinho creating a sort of an argument to say, look, I don't, you know, I don't ignore the younger players, and and I think, I think to me that's that's the the biggest contrast with Manchester City, apart from obviously the way they've played stylistically, is that it would be very difficult to look at anybody in that United team as an individual and say that they've improved under Mourinho's coaching. Certainly not the younger players. You know, the people who have been pretty consistently good, David De Gea, Eric Bally, um, probably Ander Herrera, you know, they're they're consistently good anyway. Pogba has you know, I think we showed in a video recently that Pogba's not been as bad as people say he has, but again, clearly there are issues around where he's played the sort of role he's given and you know if you've got a player like that who is not only hugely expensive but also I am you know hugely charismatic I imagine very popular within that team you know you 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 build a team around him it, it's ridiculous to try and do anything else um and well, I tell you what, let, let, me, let me ask you this then let's look at it a slightly different way because 
obviously, uh, we you know we've mentioned there that the Manchester United uh, as a team have had a rather good season, a good points tally. There are problems with Mourinho, it seems. There are problems with Mourinho and the players potentially, um, and you know we we are almost in effect looking at the differences there between Guardiola and Mourinho. So if you're Michael Carrick and you've just retired and you're stepping up and you're going to be probably Mourinho's assistant manager next season. Uh, or and you're going to be, you know, learning your trade as a coach. Are you not looking over to the other side of the city and incredibly jealous uh, that Mikel Arteta is over there learning from Pep Guardiola and you're here learning from Mourinho? Do, do, do you see what I mean? Because I think Michael Carrick, obviously Manchester United have, have long been interested in uh, promoting a player to manager in the form of Guardiola, you know, having someone there as a, as a sort of long-term Ferguson replacement. And there is talk around the club that Michael Carrick might be depending on how he works out as a coach, might be um, that person. But do you think that there might be, maybe even from Michael Carrick, a little bit of disappointment about the manager he's being, who's coaching under? Yeah, I can, I can, see, I can see what you mean. Um, <clears throat> probably Arteta is in a more favourable position now, but... Well, in fact, and one more slight thing. Uh, Rui, Rui Faria, who is the... Who was, uh, Jose Mourinho's previous assistant coach, who's been his assistant coach for seventeen years, um, and you know was with him from Porto all the way through, has just left to spend more time with his family before he decides what he wants to do next. Right, that is someone who uh, probably, uh, if he'd made himself available for a manager's job at any point in the last ten years, he could have taken most jobs. You know, and for whatever reason, he hasn't done that. Now, what does that tell you about people who work closely? for Mourinho, under Mourinho. I mean, it's a small sample size, but there is one particular way of looking at it, isn't there? Well, uh, yeah, but it's a very small sample size, so I I don't, I mean, it may be that there was a particular relationship of loyalty there that prevented him from going elsewhere. I, I don't really know. It's, I think if you're Carrick, the advantage probably outweighs the negative in that, you know, the there are clearly things about Mourinho that are good. You know, you, you don't get to 81 points with a squad that lacks any real kind of cohesive identity in terms of how it's been recruited. There's a lot of surplus in that squad. There's a lot of players where you think, you know, I don't really understand exactly what they're doing or or how they've been bought with a particular philosophy in mind. Um, so... Managing that, getting something out of it, you know, it's not been disastrous. I think Carrick will will develop his own way of playing, and I suspect that that as a coach, I mean, and and that will be considerably more influenced by Ferguson than it will be by Mourinho. But what Carrick can learn very effectively under Mourinho is kind of the nuts and bolts of doing stuff. Mourinho's not going to be there in a couple of years' time. Mourinho may not even be there, you know, come the summer. So and presumably, if the club can't get Pochettino, they'll want they'll want someone to step in like like a Carrick. Well, no, I, I think they've had enough of a transition post Ferguson to to not, you know, this the, there's been talk of Arteta taking the Arsenal job for a period, which I think would make sense in that. If it goes well, that's great. And if it doesn't go well, then it's, 
you know, it's it's an ex-player who's still young and still developing as a coach. So it, it kind of doesn't really matter if it's a season of not doing all that well. Um, I think United are out of that now. Um, so they will be going for somebody um, who's a more established name. But, you know, Carrick is, what, 35, 36? You know, there's plenty of time for him to learn around the club for a couple of years, um, a la Nicky Butt, um, and and then maybe see if he's you know ready to to take on some sort of longer standing role there, or maybe he wants to go and try his hand somewhere else. I mean, I think you know if if, if I were a Michael Carrick, I would think, okay, well, I've got an opportunity at, at United. I'd be there for a year or two, learning as much as I could about coaching about everything and then I would go right down to you know a, a league two or um possibly even below that side to to actually try and take over and start running things myself well, well interestingly though I mean the, the 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 word that has come out of the club or at least the people have been speaking about with regard to Michael Carrick recently and people who appear to know uh the interests of um of uh of the club long term are all saying that uh, Manchester United are interested in uh, promoting a coach from their playing squad, a la Michael Carrick, uh, and trying to find someone suitable if in that position to take the manager's position for a long time in the, in the mould of Ferguson, which is uh, which is unusual because not unusual is it, it's it's seems counter to it to how Manchester United currently um, are operating in every other sense, uh, but apparently that is still their want in in the in the form of a sort of. Uh, Guardiola Barcelona arrangement, although of course Guardiola did uh, track around the globe for a couple of years before coming back, didn't he? Maybe Michael, maybe we can send Michael Carrick to Mexico. Well, also he did. He, you know, he managed Barcelona B, and and bearing in mind that the B system in in Spain is is different, so it's you know they they were effectively playing second or third division football depending on where they were at that point. Um, it, you're right. It does. It does run counter to to how they've conducted themselves. Otherwise, um, I tell you what, though, we have spoken about Manchester United for a bit longer than Manchester City now. So I feel like we should move on. Twenty four minutes. Uh, we're clearly not going to get through the whole table. So I, I propose what we do: speak not. about the <laughs> speak about the, uh, the, the 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 next few teams and the next two teams, maybe just the top four even, and uh, then do the rest of the league next week as a part two. Because uh, there's, no, there's no point. There's no point curtailing ourselves, Alex. Is there? It's podcast land, but we are very busy. Uh, place three, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Place Interesting. three. Place three. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm an American spectator. What's wrong with you? Okay. Place three in the finishing league, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, interestingly, this is, and I'm reading this directly from Duncan Alexander's uh, Unibet blog end the season as the top London club in the league for the first time since 1995, which is nice, I believe, that, you know, they wanted to do that over Arsenal. Yes, did it. But also uh, managed to top Chelsea, who finished in fifth. So Tottenham, 77 points, four behind Manchester United. A lovely points haul, we should say. Uh, reasonable form. Um, but I suppose the question on all of the, the Tottenham supporters' lips beyond that was good will be ooh, what's next because you know they do still seem a million miles away as does as does every team let's be clear 
of making any headway on that Manchester City side, don't they? So really, what's the next step? This this looks like a massive achievement for Tottenham. This this really should and should be celebrated, obviously, um, but is still twenty three points off the current mark. Yeah, so I think it's I think you can bracket Tottenham and Liverpool uh, both into this. Um, in that, you're just trying to make the podcast go quicker. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, fine, um, please do. It's it, it. Yes, it's very difficult to see either of them winning the league. Um, and and both performed really very well in European football. Obviously, you know Liverpool still have the Champions League final to come, but but Spurs. Spurs, you know, they they had great results against Real Madrid. They had great results against Borussia Dortmund. So maybe um, the future for those sorts of, you know, I I, I think... Let me ask you this, right? Let me phrase it a slightly different way. If Manchester City had earned about 15 points less and won it on 85, which would not be unreasonable given the history of the Premier League and how many sure. points you need to win it. Would we be looking at Tottenham and Liverpool and saying, you know, would we would we feel like their achievement was greater than it was, that they were in, they'd be essentially within touching distance of number one position, number one place, Alex. And, uh, you know, it had a couple of fixtures gone a different way. They could, they could be in there with a the running, because this is an unusual scenario at the end of the season Manchester that, City 100 points. Yeah, you're right. You're right, but I but I think I think it's an unusual scenario that could persist. Mm. Uh at least for a season or two. Um I think in terms of stopping City, I would say, you know, well obviously Liverpool have beaten them. United beat them but not in the same way that Liverpool beat them in the sense that I think United basically rode their luck and an individual's performance in Pogba, whereas mm. Liverpool, you know... Did it on purpose. <laughs> not did it on purpose, but... What are you saying? Hey? I'm, I'm saying that Liverpool's win was, was the outcome of a particular stylistic <laughs> move that... You're such an elitist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe Liverpool are, are best place. Yeah, that, those, those teams... We're talking, you know, fractions, really, aren't we? I mean, Liverpool only lost three games more than City did, but they drew eight more. So that's that's where all those points have been dropped. It's not, it's not that there isn't this kind of coterie of of six clubs, maybe five if you discount Arsenal, and and I think next season we can discount Arsenal just because of the transition. Um, you know they they are all very good clubs they're all going to be within touching distance they're all going to be capable of beating each other on any given day it's about how you perform against the other sides and how you ensure that you win you know a, a scrappy game 2-1 or 1-0 or whatever when you need to i think i think tottenham and liverpool their style is set up to do well in cup competitions I mean, ironically, it's United, Chelsea and the FA Cup. But I think in terms of playing in in Europe, you know, Liverpool obviously could win the Champions League. Is it going to happen? I'm not going to predict. But I'd love I'd love to see it happen, though. Would you? Would I love to see Liverpool win? Yes. I mean, ob- against against Real Madrid, you know. Yeah, of it's, course. It's the underdog thing, right? 
Um, I, it's very difficult to like Real Madrid in any way. You can no, no, you can appreciate them. Yeah. Um, you can you you know anybody who doesn't have enormous respect for Nal- for Ronaldo as one of the, the greatest players of all time is an idiot. But I appreciate them simply because I like the idea that there is a team out there that we're. I mean, and and let's be fair, they haven't really done this for a couple of seasons now. Uh, and and in, in terms of you know op- opposite spending power of, of Manchester United and Manchester City, it's not really looking like what it once was, but there was a period of perhaps a decade where Real Madrid would just buy the best player in the world every year. Mm. And I quite liked that in a way. I mean, it is very gluttonous, but if if that's possible, I want someone to do that. And Michael Owen, how dare you? (laughs) Um, Take that, you take that back about Michael Owen. Well, it, it would be possible, except that, you know, the two best players in the world are... Both. Already there, Bale well, and Benzema. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know you are, but but actually, no. Who I, are I, the two best players in the world? Messi, Messi and Ronaldo currently. Well, I mean, what about Mo Salah? He's just broken a. Let's talk, let, let's talk about Liverpool in conjunction with this. He's just broken a, a scoring record in the Premier League, which I I assume must have been set by Ronaldo. Uh, what does I mean? What is that? That is that is that is a record that has not been broken since we saw the undeniable immortality of uh, young Shearer. Cristiano Ronaldo. Alan, Alan huh? Shearer. It was Alan Shearer. Well, what was the record? It was Alan Shearer's record. Of what? Number of goals in a Premier League season. Really? Yeah. I could have sworn it was Cristiano Ronaldo's record. Yeah, you. T- there's the sound of typing. And in a minute, you'll hear the sound of um, begging for my apology when I when I was correct. Uh, it doesn't say. It's got most goals in in a season. Forty-two uh, what, games. Mate, this is lovely. This is lovely. We're both right. Alan Are we? Shearer scored thirty-one Premier League goals for Blackburn in ninety-five, ninety-six. Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo did the same for United in, in 2008. Yeah. And Luis Suarez netted thirty-one for Liverpool in thirteen, yeah. fourteen. But we don't uh, like him because he's a biter. I, I like him. I, I actually like that he did the biting. I thought that made him more interesting. Okay. Um, okay. Well, that's nice that that we're, that we're all right there. So, what, what's is he? Presumably, he scored thirty-two. Then has he? Correct. Yeah, incredible. And that is something of well that happens more often than I thought. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> because three people <laughs> held the record. Yeah. No, but listen, listen. No, it hasn't happened for four years. Wow. Yeah. And is it any coincidence that it's happening with the same team again? Probably yes. Um, possibly. Um, Listen, we that doesn't, we that doesn't make him yet. one of that doesn't make him one of the world's great players yet, though. No, I, I was just. I mean, I, I, I love a joke. Mo Salah. I mean, I he's got a beard and everything, but I don't think I don't think you can say after one season of playing extremely well that you know. He's anywhere near that pantheon yet. If he drags Egypt single-handedly through to the semi-finals of the World Cup, come back to me. Okay, I will come back to you. But let, I'm going to come back to you about Spurs first. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to present an, a present a way of looking at this to you, and you must explain to me uh, either why this is wrong or say yeah, fair enough. Let's move on. Okay. okay. Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, seventy-seven points. Uh, incredible achievement. Top London club. 
Maurizio Pochettino is uh, one of the best managers in the world, let's say. Uh, they've got Harry Kane, who's one of the best strikers in the Premier League, if not the world. Uh, and uh, in fact, even Harry Kane scored, you know, broke that record in, in 2017, 39 goals or something silly. Uh, have they hit a glass ceiling? Because what what can they do now? Right, we know they haven't got loads of money. We know that they've got a um, a wage structure in place that prevents them really from uh, for, you know if they're not if they're not going to upset that balance from bringing in any big names from outside. So if, even if they could afford them, that would be a difficult decision to take. Not necessarily say they wouldn't do that, but at the moment it's not something on the agenda. Uh, Really, what they're doing is holding on to Harry Kane, players like Deli Alley, and also Pochettino, who we assume is going to leave at some point, right? So is this Spurs glass ceiling? How does it get any better than this? What would they have to do to get better than this? And, and do you think it is possible to get better than this? So there's two glass ceilings, aren't there? There's there's an absolute and a relative. Um, I, I, think, I think Spurs' issue is that it's very likely that as a team they can improve um i you know i don't i don't think for example that if you looked if you if you picked a premier league 11 i i'm not that sure how many spurs players would get into it so there's there's room to improve uh, the squad in certain instances, and you know, I think I think they've recruited sensibly. I mean, I think Davidson Sanchez has been really, really good for them this season. Um, they're obviously thinking long and hard about um, who's going to replace Dembele, and there are names in the hat for that, including people like Ndombele, mm. uh, Leo. I think one of the key um, things to mention as well is that uh, if you'd asked that question a couple of years ago, Kyle Walker might have been in that eleven, but Manchester City <laughs> decided. They definitely would take him when they yeah. uh, when, when Pep Guardiola arrived. So I mean, it's no no surprise that he was the player. He was one of the players that was that was uh, absolutely taken away from Spurs. No, no, I think I think that's right, and I think I think Spurs have. You know, I'm not saying for a second they don't have outstanding players, um, and in some ways, you know, that they certainly last season they were probably the most exciting team to watch. They may have been supplanted in that by by City and to a degree Liverpool this season but i think i think the issue that they have is that they can improve to a degree um but will that improvement ever be enough well not ever be enough but it be enough in the next sort of year or two to unseat no i don't think so so i i this goes back to what i was saying at the beginning i think before the squad breaks up before the squad before the squad breaks up Tottenham will win the Champions League. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's the thing. It, it, take, it takes one to go, doesn't it? And I mean, the way I'm looking at it now, I can see David Silva's uh, fantastic season, but getting yeah. a little bit old. And yeah. what? how many years is it? One, two, if if Christian Eriksen continues playing in the, in the form that he did this year, which, let's be honest, was fantastic. How long is it going to take for Pep Guardiola to turn around and say, I'll, I'll have him, thanks. Uh, I mean, that's, the that's sort of the... Apart, right? Yeah, the buy-in argument is is it's not just about buying the best players. It's about weakening your opposition in the same league by doing so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, no squad's going to stay together forever, although there, there has been probably less um, upheaval at Spurs in that regard 
Uh, which which I think is why why the dam will explode when it does. Finally. Maybe, maybe. Right. And, and maybe Pochettino leaving will be the catalyst for that. Um, but I think I think Tottenham's best chance outside of maybe an FA Cup, I, 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 weirdly, I do think their best chance of winning something or, or doing really well in something is in European football. Because I think the way they play, the, the players they've got who can break a game in the course of a knockout tournament, you know, it's not dissimilar to, to what Liverpool have been able to do. Um, you, you know, you, you can't do it week in, week out in a way that sustains a, a league title challenge, particularly in the face of Manchester City. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see United could come back stronger next season. Chelsea have obviously kind of flopped a bit this season, but they'll have a new manager. I'm fairly sure, um, and 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 clearly Burnley will once again have things in place to to challenge that top six. So um, it, whether I don't know, I, it, it's yeah. Spurs haven't reached their ceiling in terms of how they can do, but I I can't see them winning the league for the next sort of three or four years. I think it's more more likely that Liverpool would. Well, let's talk about Liverpool now. Um, we'll finish. We'll finish on Liverpool. Of course, the main uh, plus of Liverpool's season has been Mo Salah. It would be difficult to argue otherwise. Although you could perhaps make an argument for the overall style of, of football, since they were the team, as we discussed earlier, to sort of legitimately sounds like I'm saying Manchester United's win wasn't legitimate, which of course is not true. But I'm going to use that word anyway. Legitimately beat Manchester City in a sort of tactical mind-on-mind battle, Klopp v Pep, you know. It was very exciting, very interesting. And and despite the fact that Liverpool finished below Tottenham in the league, two points below, in part because of how well they're doing in the Champions League, uh, but also I think because of that style of football and because of the significance of Mo Salah and that victory over Manchester City, their glass ceiling doesn't feel like it is quite in the same place. And I feel like... I mean, I'm neither a Liverpool fan nor a Tottenham fan, so I might be speaking completely out of turn. But I feel like were I a Liverpool fan, I would be happier at the end of this season, um, you know, forgetting about the Champions League, than I would be if, if if I were a Tottenham fan. For for why? For why, Alex? For why is that the case? Because Liverpool... It feels new, doesn't it? It feels sexy and new. Yeah. So Liverpool are playing, playing a kind of football that is quite sexy. Um, but... They, they discernibly have room for improvement. So I think um, they could definitely do with strengthening with one central midfielder. I mean, Milner's been excellent. Henderson's not been too bad. It, it just feels like there's maybe something creative lacking in that that central midfield. And they've got to a Champions League final with Dejan Lovren. At centre back, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also special. yeah. I mean, Carius has massively improved this season, but again, I, I'm still not. You know, he's 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 a nowhere near a David de Gea or an Edison or a Hugo Lloris two years ago. So there's there's definitely room to improve there. Um, so I think from that perspective, Liverpool kind of it it's easier to look at Liverpool and say. Not only are they playing great football, they've got a really clear tactical identity. They know exactly what they're trying to do in any given game. And it's also fairly obvious where you'd make them better. 
you'd 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 give them a much better goalkeeper. You get a centre half that can partner Van Dyke and and play not just defensively well, but you know some of Van Dyke's passing yesterday against against Brighton was really impressive. You know he's 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 a good all round player. Um, and somebody you know well they've got Naby Keita coming in, haven't they? So that's you know that's cause for excitement Hello. as well because it, well he's he's a fantastic player. Um, so I think you know yes. It, while they finish behind Spurs, I think they and they're going to come out of this Champions League final one of two ways. They're, they'll either be elated because they've won and feel like they can push on and conquer anything, or they'll kind of be a mixture of inspired and aggrieved because they've lost. In which case, well, that it's, is the good thing yeah. about playing a team like Real Madrid because it, you know, in theory, if you lose. Real Madrid win what three years in a row? You sort of go, yeah. well, you know, part of the course. Look where, look how far we got. Well, I, I think so. So I think I think Liverpool can probably feel galvanised by either result. Obviously, it's better for them to win, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I would like that. But I think you know, either way, they're going to look back at this season as having been more of a success than than Spurs would be able to say. And Spurs. Spurs haven't won anything yet. No, under Pochettino, you giggled like you giggled like an Arsenal fan there. Well, I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I, I just kind of feel like they are of all the teams that are in that area, the sort of the top six area. I don't mean North Northeast London. Um, they're the ones who have, in some ways, most flattered to deceive because there hasn't been tangible progress towards actually getting their hands on something no and, and yeah and they're the other sort of tactical hope as well they're, they're the other team as we've discussed before in the top sort of six with a clear tactical oh yeah uh you know definition <clears throat> oh well i um, no, I, I i think i think i think all the teams in the top six have got a clear tactical definition i just don't think some of them have got the right one I, I think right. I think City, Spurs, and Liverpool do. I think Chelsea's three four three got very very stale, and I think United don't really know quite what they're trying to do yet. Um, but I think yeah, I mean I, th- I think City, Spurs, and Liverpool are the three most attractive sides to watch by some distance. Um, I I just feel like you know they they all have. I mean they all could improve. City could get even better, but. It's it's about ultimately it does come down to winning things and and improving, improving your style and improving your squad and all the rest of it. That that's all well and good, but in order to really push on and to get the momentum to to properly challenge for anything, you know you 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 need a cup win or something, um, you know like a United in the Europa League or something. Well, yeah, on, on the cup on the cup win front. Um, well, there's the course, FA Cup still to come, isn't there? Yeah, I was going to ask you for a one-word prediction in the name of a team. Uh, United. Team you... oh, see, I think the opposite. I think it'll be a lovely little end-of-season surprise. Everyone will have forgotten who Chelsea were, and then they'll go, look, we've won a domestic competition, and people will go, oh, yes, you again. No, I, 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 think, yeah. I think Chelsea are, are, are a tired team in terms of... Um, sure. You know, I, I think they're they're overly reliant on 
Hazard and Fabregas. He's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Right, I'm going to end it here now. I mean, okay. I, I do want to hear more of what you're going to say. And we'll, we'll, you, we will... probably don't. you probably don't. No, no, but we'll talk about Chelsea next next week um, when we come back to do this again and, and, and Arsenal and the other teams. And the other teams. Um, but you did say them. about three minutes ago that uh, obviously it's better for a team to win the Champions League than to not win it. So I think we've got to <laughs> 40, 45 minutes in. It's time to stop now. Um Alex, thanks. And uh, enjoy the rest of the week. And we'll, we'll speak to you uh, next Monday after that FA Cup final. And we'll talk about that and we'll talk about the rest of the teams in the league. Lovely.